chapter 1. James chapter 1. I'll begin reading at verse number 6. James chapter 1, verse number 6. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you that my spirit, soul, and body become a portal through which your wisdom can pass from eternity into time and space. Father, I ask that you give me utterance tonight. Lord, speak through my, my vocal cords. Speak through my mind. Father, Lord, that the truth and wisdom that you have for us and the hidden things that you desire to reveal to us tonight, Father, would be revealed. We thank you, Lord, for your love and for your earnest desire, Lord, to see us grow. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. James chapter 1 and verse number 6, it says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now, this passage, of course, is one of many in the Bible that speak to the importance of faith, that speak to the absolute necessity of faith. We see that without faith, it's impossible to please God, Hebrews eleven six 6 tells us. And that he who comes to God must believe that God is and that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We know that the Bible says that we've been given the measure of faith, but that measure of faith that you've been given, it needs to be developed, it needs to be strengthened, it needs to be grown, it needs to be acted upon, it needs to be used, amen? And there are many people who've been given a measure of faith, and that measure of faith has remained dormant in their lives. They've never really used it, they've never really fed it, they've never really grown it, they've never really exercised it. But thank God that's not us, amen? But this passage right here puts it about as bluntly and as about as plainly as it can be stated. And it's that phrase, let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. It's talking about the man who has doubt in his heart. And the context, as I told you last Wednesday evening, the context of this is asking God for wisdom but he says we ask in faith for wisdom with no doubting. But in verse 7, he goes from let not that man suppose he'll receive wisdom from the Lord to let not that man suppose he'll receive anything from the Lord. I mean, anything is what? That's, that's anything and everything that we could and should receive from the Lord by faith. So faith's pretty important, amen? Faith's pretty important, amen? One of my favorite, I say definition, it's a simple two-word definition, fully convinced, fully persuaded is what Romans 4 says of Abraham's faith when he received the promises of God into his life. Now, let me ask you something tonight. Do you, you reckon the devil knows what this verse is talking about here. Reckon the devil knows that if there's doubt in our heart, if there's anything less than 100% fully convinced, that will keep us from receiving from the Lord. I believe the answer is absolutely yes, that he understands that. 
Remember, the devil can quote the Bible better than most Christians. If you don't believe me, watch him quoting it to Jesus. And he knows what the Word of God has to say well enough to twist it and use it in a way to try to confuse and deceive us. I don't think any of us understand the threat, the measure of faith you've been given actually is to the devil. Jesus said that faith the size of a mustard seed could pull trees up from their roots and move mountains into the sea. And you've been given a measure of that God kind of faith, the God kind of faith. God has put his faith in your heart. The same faith that Jesus used to do everything Jesus did on this earth as a man, you've been given that same kind of faith. It's in you tonight. And the Bible says that the faith that you've been given is the victory that overcomes everything in this world. The measure of faith that resides in your heart tonight, given to you by God as a baby gift, given to you by God as a baby gift, is of tremendous, overwhelming threat to the enemy. The Bible says that from the mouth of a nursing infant, God has perfected praise that strikes terror into the heart of the enemy. Now, the devil can't steal that faith from you. I know some people talk and say, no, no, they're, they're wrong. What God's given to you, the devil can't take away, the world can't take away. And the devil knows that. So his strategy, his strategy is to try and contain you and the faith that you have and if possible even neutralize the faith that you've been given. 2 Corinthians 2.11 says it this way, lest Satan should take advantage of us for we are not ignorant of his devices. Ephesians 6 talks about the wiles of the devil, the schemes, the plotting, the planning, the strategy, the efforts that he uses against us. I heard Keith Moore say this the other day, and it really struck a chord with me. He said that the devil has had lots of practice deceiving mankind. He's been, he's been doing it for millennia. He's gotten very good at it. He's developed over many, many, many years various techniques, various strategies, various ways of tricking and deceiving us. And I believe at the heart of all of his tactics and strategies, or at least they all have something to do with preventing the faith that is in your heart from being developed and from being strengthened, from being activated, and from ultimately being used as a weapon and as a tool to destroy his kingdom and build Father's kingdom here in the earth. So how does he do that? If he can't steal your faith, but his strategy is to try to weaken it or to contain it or to neutralize it, 
how, how does he go about doing that? He does that by doubt. Because if we doubt in our heart, let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. Now, if this makes you uncomfortable, I'm not trying to make you uncomfortable. I'm just trying to, and I believe the Holy Spirit led me in this direction for this evening. I believe the question the devil is asking himself goes something like this. How can I get them to doubt without them knowing they are? How can I get them to doubt without knowing they are? There's not a person in this room the devil hadn't tried this one on you. There is no God. And that works for a lot of people. But clearly it's not working on you. God doesn't love me. God doesn't love you. Well, that works for a lot of people, but clearly that's not working on you, right? So the ultimate strategy from the enemy is how can he get us to doubt without recognizing or understanding that we are doubting? Is it too hard for you to imagine the devil trying to come up with something that so resembles faith, seems so much like faith, that most people think it is faith, while that same substitute for faith contains within it hidden doubt? See, that would even be better, right? If the devil could come up with something that... that would cause us to doubt without us knowing that we're doubting and at the same time actually think the thing that's producing doubt after doubt after doubt in our hearts, an endless stream of doubt in our hearts is something that we, or a lot of people think, is actually faith. Well, he's done just that. And that something is called probability. The Lord told me tonight, he, and, and, and I'm telling you, this is straight from Him. He said, do not trade your birthright of faith for the red soup of probability. Do not trade your birthright of faith for the red soup of probability. Probability is like a Trojan horse. Are you familiar with that? How the enemy, I don't know all the different players in that story, but the concept of a Trojan horse is that it was left outside the gate as a gift. It was a large wooden horse, and, and, and they, they took it with inside the impenetrable city walls and, and were just so amazed at this elaborate horse that someone built that was so big and all that. What they did not know is that inside that horse were enemy soldiers. Probability is like a Trojan horse. It seems like a gift to help us, but is actually rotten to the core because it is hiding doubt that contaminates, corrupts, and neutralizes our faith. Probability. It's somewhere in my notes. I might get to it tonight. I may not. Let me say it now. The title of this week's sermon, last Wednesday night's sermon, was The Devil Loves Probably. What is probably? 
probably, probability, probably is um, a better than 50% chance of something working out in your favor. Probably. Probably gives us deceptive mental comfort. It all goes back to chance. It all goes back to luck. It all goes back to um, favorable circumstances, favorable odds, favorable chances of something working out to our favor, to our benefit. It's how this world, system's, this world system functions on this thing called probability. And like a Trojan horse, it came to us as a gift and we've opened our hearts to it because after all, to hear that there's a better than 50% chance that this is going to work out in our favor brings us comfort without us ever realizing that it's also corrupting, contaminating, and neutralizing our faith. You don't have to turn back there. Last week we looked at this passage in Luke chapter 8 verse 18 where Jesus said, take heed how you hear. What you hear is important, but that's not what he said here. He didn't say what you hear, he said how you hear. How you hear is speaking of the way you hear, the filter through which you listen. Traditions, preconceived ideas, beliefs, opinions, personal experiences, and personal preferences can all influence the way we hear things. We said last week that most people's considerations are dominated by probability. It's how they consider. It's how they view the world around them. Everything passes through a filter of probability. It is the way, foundation, or basis for all of many people's thinking on planet Earth. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 6, verse 23, If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now that's one of those verses you can read over and over and over again, and without the Holy Spirit's help, you'll be more confused after reading it six times than you were from reading it the first time. Let's consider what he's saying here. If the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? He's saying if darkness is the lens through which you view everything, then how great is the darkness? He's talking again about how you see. Not what you see, but how you see. How you look at things. How you view the world around you. As a matter of fact, I believe what Jesus is talking about here, among other things, is this new terminology that we have, and, and perhaps they had it in Jesus' day, I do not know, but the, but the idea or the concept is expressed in this word, worldview. I'm going to give you a fancy definition of worldview. Worldview is the fundamental cognitive orientation of an individual. Cognitive has to do with the way you think. Orientation is, is, the, is, the, is the angle or the, the, you know, when you think about how something is oriented. This pulpit is oriented facing you directly. If we turned it sideways, we would change its orientation. 
Uh, an individual's worldview is the fundamental cognitive orientation of, of that individual. For instance, there are people who have an extremely negative worldview. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 6 says of people who are like this that they will not be able to see good when it comes. If you have a, a predominantly negative worldview, there can be good news standing right in front of you and you don't see it. There can be good news being told to you and you can't hear it. Somebody will tell you good news, but because of your cognitive orientation, you will take that good news and make it bad news by the time it lands into your heart and mind. If the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Your worldview is the primary means by which you process life and make choices. Now listen to me very carefully, okay? Life is choice-driven. Life is choice-driven. And if probability governs your choices, then probability governs your life. So what does that mean if probability governs my choices, Pastor Mark? If when you sit down to make a decision, you make that decision based upon what you think will give you the greatest odds or the greatest chance of success. See, I told you it comes to us as a friend. You say, well, Shazam, Pastor Mark, we call that logic. God's not logical. Somebody tell me how many miracles have been produced on planet earth through logic. Somebody tell me how many demons have been cast out by rationale. Somebody tell me how many folks, right, have experienced supernatural breakthroughs in their life through reasoning. The world calls this normal. And so do many of God's people. It's not normal. It's not your friend. By definition, probability, even if there is a 95% chance of it working out for you, there is always a 5% chance that it will not, or a 99.9%. In other words, there will always be, even if it is only a scintilla, there will always be a scintilla of doubt associated with a probability mindset or a probability worldview. So, therefore, a Trojan horse comes to you as a friend. Well, we're just making sound decisions here. We're figuring out what the best options are. We never even consider what God may say. God told a man his army was too big. God told Gideon, pare it down to 300. What are the odds that 300 men are going to go and overthrow a nation? God didn't want them trusting in probability. He didn't want them taking chances. You see the difference there, right? Well, it just makes sense to me. That's our problem. We're too interested in what makes sense to us and not interested in enough in what makes sense to God. Probability. 
How about this? Let's just play it safe. Let's just play it safe. The church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will not change this world playing it safe. We will never raise the dead playing it safe. We will never win nations for our God playing it safe. Playing it safe comes from a survivor mindset. And a survivor mindset is fueled by probability thinking and a probability worldview. Rarely do I say things like this from this pulpit, but so you hear me tonight. I believe I'm saying this to you from the Holy Spirit. There is a very popular song on Christian radio right now that has a very popular tune. Amen. And if you're not a very catchy tune, and if you're not careful, you'll, you'll just be singing that song on and on and on and on. And that song goes something like this. I am a survivor. I'd rather you listen to, to rock music or rap music than listen to that right there. We are not survivors. Surviving is about probability thinking. Surviving is a probability mindset. Jesus did not bleed to death naked on the cross for us to be survivors. He bled to death naked on the cross so that we could be a royal priesthood, so that we could be kings and priests under our God, so that we could command demons, cast out devils, walk on water, heal the sick. Are you hearing me? He bled to death naked on the cross so that we could thrive in life. And we thrive in life through faith. Through his ability, not probability. I believe what we're talking about now falls into a category the Bible refers to as deep and hidden things. Deep and hidden things. prayed about this. I put this, I, I, I went to put this in my notes. I took it out and I, I worked on the notes and I came back and I put it back in and I believe the Holy Spirit told me to do it. First Corinthians chapter four, verse five. You say, well, Pastor Mark, that's really not what that verse is talking about. I know, but this is what the Holy Spirit's talking about to us tonight. Amen. First Corinthians chapter four, verse five says this, therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. Now the context of this verse is we shouldn't be judging because the outward appearance of people doesn't tell the whole story. And there are things that folks in this room have done. There are things that people in this room have done this week. You did it for somebody else as under the Lord and nobody else knows about it, but the Lord knows about it. The Lord knows about it. And there's coming a day when all those secret and hidden things are going to be revealed. Now that's the context of this and we shouldn't be judging even if we were the judge and we're not. It's not the time for judgment. And he's telling us that, all right? But the Holy Spirit kept bringing these words 
up into my heart. And he told me that you need to be aware that there is going to be tremendous spiritual warfare where these series of messages are concerned because the devil is threatened by your faith and the greatest thing that he has to neutralize your faith is the probability of you and he does not want these deep and hidden things brought to light or the counsels of our heart to be revealed so that we can recognize them for what they are and get out of that probability mindset and get into the possibility mindset that we were born again to have. Daniel talks about this as well. Daniel chapter 2, verse 22. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. Now let's go back again. I put it back up. 1 Corinthians 4 and 5. You say, well, Pastor Mark, that really, that's not what this is referring to. It's not talking about things right now. It's talking about future things. Well, listen, if, if Jesus by the Holy Spirit at some point in the future can reveal um, hidden things of darkness and reveal counsels of heart. Can he not do it for us now if we, if we give him place to do it in our lives? In other words, doubt that we have that we're not aware of. Unbelief that we have that we're not aware of. Would to God somebody would be man enough and woman enough to face it in Scripture when things didn't work out the way they were supposed to work out with the disciples' ministry. Most every time they asked Jesus, Jesus, why could we not cast him out? Jesus, why did this not happen? Jesus, why did this not work? Every single time Jesus said, because of your unbelief. One time they tried to cast the devil out of a boy and, it, and, and, and the devil didn't come out of that boy. Now, I want you to think about something for a minute. I, the Lord taught me this laying right there on my face one day. We'd had some folks die that I didn't think it was time for them to die yet. I knew it wasn't their time to die. I take that back. I knew it wasn't. I was praying and believing everything I had in me to the best of my ability that they'd be healed, and they weren't. And I'm like, Father, you got, I don't understand this. You're going to have to help me with this. I, you know. And he very gently, he told me, he said, Son, it's unbelief that you don't know you have. And I'm like, you're going to have to show that to me in Scripture. He took me immediately to that account in Scripture. The disciples asked Jesus later, Jesus, why could we not cast him out? Jesus said, because of your unbelief. And this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. We think Jesus is talking about the devil. He's not talking about the devil coming out by prayer and fasting. He's talking about the unbelief in their hearts coming out by prayer and fasting. Think about it. Had these men cast out demons before? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, we know they had cast out demons, and according to the scriptures, every single time they went to cast a devil out, that devil left. So they had had 100% experience casting out devils themselves until this situation. Think about it now. If you've done something, and every single time you've done it, I use the example like if I ever push the button on my remote control to unlock my truck, if I ever push the button and the truck doesn't unlock, I don't throw the keys over in the field. I just push the button again, right? Because I've done it so many times, I trust that button. So I said, Lord, you've got to show me unbelief they don't know they have. There it is. They'd experienced 100% success casting out demons, but right here that demon didn't come out because of unbelief. Clearly unbelief they didn't know they had.
I'm not trying to offend you tonight. I'm trying to help you. These are deep and hidden things. Now, the Lord's bringing them to light for us. I know I don't probably remind you of this enough, but the word of the Lord came to us in June of last year, and he said that the first 20 years of this family of faith were marked by 20 years of sowing, but that he was now bringing us into 20 years that would be characterized by harvesting. We're entering a period of 20 years of harvest. You harvest by faith. And if you've ever planted, you know that after that initial work of planting, 20 years of harvest doesn't mean 20 years of laziness. It's not 20 years of eating cream-filled donuts. That's 20 years of even harder work than the first 20 years. Even though it's harder work, though, that harvesting works a whole lot funner than hoeing them weeds, isn't it? Come on now. It's so much more fun picking that corn than it is hoeing that corn, planting that corn, digging that field, right? Amen. There are deep and hidden things of God, mysteries of the kingdom He's revealing, amen? But what we're talking about now are deep and hidden things of the enemy, things that we would never know about, see, or understand unless the Lord revealed them to us. Now, there are two kingdoms operating in the earth. You know that, right? The kingdoms of darkness, the kingdom of, of, of Satan, and then, of course, the kingdom of our God. And we're citizens of his kingdom. So we have two kingdoms operating in the earth. We've got God and Satan. We'll make you two columns here. You ready? First column is God, his kingdom. Second column is Satan and his kingdom. Obviously, on God's side, there's light. On the devil's side, there's darkness. On God's side, there's love. On the devil's side, there's hate, or as I like to refer to, selfishness in its rawest, purest form, opposite of love. Life and death. Life and death, right? Life's on God's side, death's on the devil's side. Then we got blessing, cursing. And then we got faith and fear. And then the last one for for this list, we got possible and we got probable. Probable is to death what possible is to life. Now this is how the Lord showed me to do this, and I'm, amen, so I'm just trying to be patient tonight and just, amen. I'm a little fired up if you haven't figured that out yet. 
I don't think anybody in this room would question how opposite to how, how diametrically opposed to one another God and the devil are. How opposite to how diametrically opposed to light is to darkness, love is to hate, life is to death, blessing is to curse, faith is to fear. But it doesn't seem like possible and probable belong on opposite ends of the spectrum like that, but I'm telling you they do. They do. They do. One of the reasons why this is so confusing to us, and, and again, the Holy Spirit, unless he reveals these things, amen, but he's revealing them in Jesus' name. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I'm even going to go there. He's helping us see it. Amen. Are you in faith with me? He's helping us see this. He's helping us recognize this. It's a subtle influence. It's a subtle influence. Most people are so consumed by probability, their, their prayer, their, their giving, their um, even quoting the word is all done just in hopes that it will improve their chances of things working out. Did you hear what I just said? It's like got my Bible promises on, in my right pocket and my rabbit's foot in my left pocket. Well, I mean, you know, it can't hurt. That's what the devil tells us, right? Listen, you probably figured it out by now. At some point in the near future, we're going to get into wives' tales. And what is up with black cats and broken mirrors and ladders? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? But see, again, why do we just, why do we throw the salt over our shoulder? Well, it can't hurt. It could only, it could only improve. It could only help, but it can't hurt. So what are you saying? Anything that might make my chances of this working out, me having better luck or whatever in life, well, we'll just do that, right? I mean, we're going to believe God and be lucky. See, we think, they're, we think they're on the same side. Probability is not your friend, my, men, my, my brother, my sister, my friend. Probability is not your friend. The devil loves probably. Oh my God, the lives he's destroyed through that one word, through that one tactic, through that one strategy, through that one device. He loves it when you put your confidence in probably. Because if your confidence is in probably, your confidence is not in God. Because there's nothing probably about him. There's nothing probably about him. He loves it when we put our confidence in chance and think it's faith. Call it faith. Another really good way that you can start to discern this, detect this in your own life, is 
the correlation between hope and faith. It's sometimes more recognizable because our hope is in God and in God's ability, not in probability. The Bible says of Abraham that he hoped against hope. What does that mean? It means there was zero chance of him and Sarah conceiving a child, but he still hoped in God that he would, not because of the probability, but because of God's ability, because there's nothing too hard for the Lord. Our confidence in chance is more recognizable on the hope side of, of the faith equation. In other words, if our hope rises and falls with the odds, sounds like a wave driven and tossed to me, right? Rises and falls. Things are looking better, so our hopes are up. Things took a turn for the worse, so our hopes went down with it. That's not hope in God. Hope in God says with God all things are possible, meaning somebody can do this. Notice also, probability is something we think we can control. Where faith is what requires dependence upon God. Amen. The devil loves probably. He loves probably because it can look like, seem like, and feel like faith. Probably mimics faith but is not genuine faith, and it is highly deceptive. We find deceptive mental comfort in probably, but probably neutralizes faith because probably by definition, let me give it to you and I'll close. Probable means likely to occur or prove true having more evidence for than against, or evidence that inclines the mind to belief. Do you see how deceptive all this is? But notice the last phrase, but leaves some room for doubt. Possible on the other hand, able to be done within the power or capacity of someone or something. Impossible means no one has the power or capacity to do it. Jesus said with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things All things are possible. All things are able to be done. All things are within the power 
or capacity of our God. I asked you last week, I'll ask you again tonight, which do you prefer? A 95% chance or all things are possible? I'm taking all things are possible every time. Amen. Amen. Stand with me tonight. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, you are shining the light of your truth on some deep and hidden things of darkness. A strategy, a tactic that the enemy has used against us and against your people. And I thank you, Father, that you are bringing it to light. And you are making us aware. And you are helping us become extricated from a probability worldview to a God's ability worldview. Father, that we be like our big brother Jesus and we never see a situation as hopeless or as impossible. Even if like Lazarus, four days dead and his body decomposing. Because all things are possible to him who believes. Father, we renounce the hidden things of darkness. We renounce fables and old wives' tales and things masquerading themselves as being cute and funny that are really witchcraft at their core. We renounce those things. We do not live by luck and we are not survivors. We are led by the Holy Spirit of God. There is therefore now no condemnation. We are sons and daughters of God. We walk by faith and not by sight. And we thrive in this life for your glory. Now, Father, we paralyze demonic forces that would come and try to steal this word. We paralyze demonic forces that would come and try to take this word and use it to bring offense. And, Father, we end this prayer by saying thank you for showing us a blind spot. Lord, thank you for showing us things that we haven't recognized, Lord, that we've We've welcomed, we thought it was a good thing to be, be confident because the choice, the chances are good. No, 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 see, that's, that's not our friend. Father, as we go our separate ways, may we let our light so shine before others that they see our good works and glorify you in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I love you. Thank you for being here tonight. Good things coming to you and your family, amen. Be blessed. We'll see uh, some in the morning. I'll see some tomorrow at the funeral.